we're going to be talking about parenting agents of redemption. Um, and I'm not really super militaristic or FBI, even though that kind of sounds like agents of redemption, right? Um, that was the best verbiage that I could figure out. Uh, but essentially, we want to talk about today parenting your child's heart, not necessarily their behavior, but parenting chi- your child's heart in such a way that they are about redemption on this earth, okay? And we'll define that in just a second. Uh, well, we'll define it now, I guess. Um, so the word redeemed is deliver from bondage or to set free. So when Scripture talks about we ourselves as believers are redeemed or that one day this earth will be redeemed, it means to set free. Essentially, God's going to do a work of taking a really, really sin-sick earth, negative, bad place, and make good out of it, redeem it, all right? So when we talk about parenting our kids to be about redemption here on this earth, we're talking about training up our kids uh, to live in such a way that they make good out of the bad that's around them, all right? As we think of examples of bad that our kids either do personally, daily, or experience at school or with friends, what examples come to mind? What is bad around our kids on a daily basis? What's that? Social media, good. Yeah, and most things aren't, there are some, but most things aren't inherently evil, uh, but certainly... Uh, there is a plethora of bad things uh, that can be found on social media. What else? Foul language, yes. And that can be certainly cursing, but it also can be language that does not build up. I tend to be a sarcastic person, um, and especially with my guy friends, like we can sit around joking. Um, and over the past six and a half years, I've used sarcasm in our marriage. We're doing, uh, which doesn't work well, guys. <laughs> uh, we're doing a marriage group counseling. We're going through a group counseling experience with our church, Grace Covenant in Austin. And um, yeah, I'm learning that that's not good. So I'm obviously, obviously not outright insulting my wife, but it's not language that builds her up. Um, and so even sarcasm with, uh, with, with language. What else? What else? What other bad things do our kids experience? And maybe hopefully can turn around and actually make good out of it. Materialism, yes. Lord, yes. Anything else? What's that? Yeah. Yes. The social uh, food chain is can be a horrific thing. Um, and people are bullied, people are excluded. And don't look now, but a lot of these things we as adults experience as well. Good list. So we want to, and it begins, so it begins parenting our kids, our kids' hearts, to be about redeeming their environment, their surrounding, their friends. Um, it starts now is the best way to put it. So it starts with me when my kids are three and one. If you have a kid that's 12, 16, it starts just now. It's, it's never really too late to start this process. Um, and so it begins now. How can we teach our kids to redeem their environment? Next slide. So a lot of people, Scripture in places speaks to heaven being streets of gold and 
we're playing harps and mansions everywhere, but really that's just imagery. It's imagery that the, the folks that pinned our scriptures, um, they were just trying to think of the most, the best place that they could think of. Um, scripture actually speaks to heaven one day, not being some other worldly place, but actually our current earth. And it speaks here in Romans talking about our earth actually groans, waiting for their redemption process. So heaven is actually going to be this earth being made new. All right? And there's a fantastic book called Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. And he writes this. The early church believed that God was going to do for the whole cosmos what he had done for Jesus at Easter. So Jesus was a spiritual, right? So after the resurrection, he was made new. Jesus, he was a spiritual being. The scripture talks about um, him actually appearing in a room where his disciples were. So he was kind of otherworldly, but he was also physical. Uh, we could actually t- they could actually touch him, see the scars. And so he said that, that, that the cosmos is going to be done what was, had done to Jesus, both physical still as well as spiritual. So much for the sitting on clouds playing harps, as people often imagine. Instead, the redeemed people of God in the new world will be agents of love going out in a new way to accomplish new creative tasks, to celebrate and extend the glory of his love. The whole point of his book, Surprised by Hope, is that we cannot, as believers, just assume that one day this earth will end, that we'll be taken somewhere else, and then we'll be able to get to experience heaven. But actually, if we flip it in our head, knowing that this earth will one day be redeemed, then that hopefully will change our current action. And that's what he encourages. That if we're actually going to be stuck, right, stuck with our physical bodies, stuck with this physical earth, Even though it will be redeemed, we as Christians now, if we have that understanding, we now have a responsibility to begin the redemption process now. Scripture calls it being his hands and his feet. So if we are going to actually, if we're living in an unredeemed heaven now, in a way, we have got to bring about the redemption process now. We have got to be about, and subsequently our children have to be about, redeeming this earth making good out of a bad situation. All right, next. So we should make our lives about redeeming this world now. Examples, loving the unlovable, serving those in need, helping out around the house, the community, creation care, sharing the gospel with words as well as actions. All those kind of go without saying, but hopefully conceptualizing, making that conceptual switch in our head that we're actually... Uh, we're supposed to be players in the game of bringing about the redemption of this world now. That we should not bring. That we should not wait for God to come in and do a real work, although He will. But we get to be His hands and feet now, and that's an awesome privilege that not only we as people have, but also we as parents to be able to instill within our kids. All right. Uh, next slide. So, how do we do that? It's not necessarily about behavior. So much of parenting, especially books, can be how do we affect behavioral change. This message today is really about heart change. And one thing to mention there is you are not responsible for your child's heart change. They are. 
So you can write down some things for today, and you can take it back home. Let's do this, and for the next five years, not see change. Keep at it. You're not responsible for their change. Your responsibility is to do what you believe the Lord through prayer, the Spirit's leading, as well as conversations with your spouse or community if you're a single parent. Um, Your responsibility is to do what you feel led to do, not to change them, all right? That's what we can get so quick in. We're doing these things, but there's no change, so let's switch it up. Let's find some new method, and it's... It's not necessarily about change. Um, Certainly we would hope to see change. Certainly we would hope to see our kids be part of the redemptive process. But even if we don't, that's on them. You'll only stand in front of God and speak to the things that, that you were responsible for, and that's not their change. They're their independent moral agents making their own sometimes idiotic decisions. Don't take responsibility for them. Next. All right, so it begins with outward thinking. Matt Cassidy is the pastor at Grace Covenant Church where we attend, and they're really big about thinking out. So often, Brett, when do we finish today? Okay. Um, So, so much of us, especially our kids, are, they think internally, okay? They think about themselves, and we're actually born that way, and it's a really healthy thing. So when a newborn is born, he's all about himself, right? It's, you need to change me now, feed me now, <laughs> allow me to sleep now. It's all about me, and it's really a survival technique at that point. But then the next 70-some-odd years is kind of unworking that whole process. And so your teenagers are very connected still to that selfish mentality, just neurobiologically. Um, so it's, it's, it's parenting in such a way um, that our, teaching our kids, leading our kids through our behaviors as well to think outwardly. A few tips on that. Uh, don't make happiness the goal, all right? Shallow, shallow goal. We have lots of parents that come in, and that is the main thing. I just want them to be happy. Happiness is... Um, I mean, it changes after I eat a cheeseburger if it's too big, right? Like, happiness is fleeting. We, instead, we want to teach joy and contentment. And those two things are independent of circumstances. Uh, disappoint your child purposefully. This is something that I struggle with. Uh, I am, again, I really lean on Katie my wife, for parental guidance within the home. I talk a really good game, counseling. (laughs) But in my home, I just want to, oh, baby, you want 14 cookies? Okay. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, daddy loves to spoil his his baby girl. Um, But I've had to learn to put a small smile on my face when our three-year-old is writhing on the floor pitching a fit because she didn't get something that she wants. Not that I'm going out of my way to find areas where I can disappoint her, but I'm kind of going out of my way to find areas where I can disappoint her. She has got to be taught that the world doesn't revolve around her, that we don't get every whim met. If she learns that, we set her up for adulthood that the world doesn't exist like that. And so purposely disappointing your kid is a very, very healthy, healthy thing. Uh, It's not an American thing, but... 
Um, have consistent behavioral expectations and consequences. Consequences have to hurt to help. Don't cater to your child's emotions and or opinions. Certainly listen to them, but don't cater to them. Um, teach your child they are responsible for their mistakes. Um, that when they mess up at school or when a teacher, maybe even after hearing the story, when a teacher has been unfair to them, right, don't rescue them. They had a hand in whatever situation went down. Uh, they are responsible for their mistakes. Demand self-sacrifice and service. So often, self-sacrifice and service um, so often is one week a summer, right, when our youth group goes on a trip. But this needs to be a daily thing that we keep on our mind. Hey, son, let's go mow our neighbor's yard this Saturday. No, Dad, I don't, I don't even want to mow our own yard while well, we're doing it. Self-sacrifice and service. And teach positional worth. I have a lot of kids that their parents just hound them on grades. And this might sound blasphemous. I'm not going to go here. This is a um, uh, soapbox for me. But school's not that important. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> that goes against everything you hear in your educational system. But literally, I have kids that are suicidal because of their grades. That's stupid. That's stupid. I went to, sorry, Brett, Podunk Howard Payne University. Yes, exactly. I went to Podunk Howard Payne University. They literally will accept anyone the day before school starts in August. And I have a family that I'm supporting. I'm doing just fine. Our teachers and our counselors, they want to motivate, and that's fantastic within our schools, and even our parents are grades, 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 grades. Westwood High School is the area we're in, and we see a lot of those kids. You have to have a 5-5 to sniff the top 10. Suicide is one of the biggest things I talk about with my Westwood kids over school. Anyway, um, so... When parents constantly harp on behavioral change, a kid sits in my office and says, I feel like my parents, let's use school as an example, are only happy with me, they only love me, and this is not their language, but from what I produce at school. If that's the only conversation you ever have with your kids, your kid's going to pick up on that message, I have to do better for school for my parents to calm down and love me. Positional worth suggests no matter what you do, if you are president of the United States or an axe murderer, I will love you no matter what. I'm going to be disappointed (laughs) if you are an axe murderer, but I'll visit you in prison. Positional worth. That is a huge, huge, huge thing to teach our kids to think outwardly. If they're so self-conscious that they're always, what can I do to change to make my parents happy to get them off my case? Um, It's so inward thinking. If they have the security of positional worth, all right, boom. Now I can look outwardly and serve my environment. Next. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Um, I would love for you guys to get in groups. This is, and you're already kind of there, but if you don't have a big enough one, combine. Um, so as I think of raising kids to, with their heart, 
be motivated to positively affect their environment. I read this scripture, um, obviously read it before, but it was about a month ago, and it kind of just hit me across the head saying, this is actually something that would describe that type of family. Um, If our kids, if us as parents can get all of this, we are about 99% covering this, this idea of being involved in the redemptive process on earth. Okay, so get together. I'm going to give you seven or eight minutes um, to read through that. Come up with two ideas of what this scripture speaks to, to be a part of the redemptive making good out of this bad world. Okay, so get together, read through it, come up with two examples. All right, what examples can y'all think of? Question before us is, what things do we need to focus on to teach our kids and to have within ourselves to lead our kids um, towards being shining lights wherever they go? Um, that the kids that are constantly about bringing good into this world. All right. So, what what things did we take away from that scripture? Yeah, so setting the example. So how often are we as parents praying and how often are we talking um, about Scripture? How are we talking to each other as parents? Good. What else? Good. Yeah, so um, kill them with kindness. Uh, Love the unlovable. And this Scripture absolutely does speak to that. One caveat. I'm not putting a caveat on Scripture, but (laughs) sounds awful. One caveat to all of that is we want our kids to be safe. You know, if I, if I would have had, um, you know, if a kid's getting abused or, you know, I've dealt with um, adults that had molestation in their past. I'm going to ask them to go serve that person. Uh, they should never be around that person. So there are physical boundaries at times that need to be instituted. Um, but yes, as a general rule outside of the egregious things. Um, we do want to, 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 to be um, loving those that are persecuting us. Maybe a, So that does happen, obviously, at school, maybe with bullies. But again, there maybe needs to be some physical distance there even. Um, but certainly with siblings. So your brother hit you. Go take him this water. He asked for, I don't know, toast with his eggs. Can you make that? See their response there. But you need to be about that maritally as well. Get off your high horse. I'm speaking to myself. Um, And in fights, um, serve your spouse. And talk about that with your kids. So this is part of it, these conversations. Um, You know, hey, did you just see mommy and daddy fighting? Yep. Yep. Well, now I'm making her this. I'm actually going to bring her tea. You know why I'm doing that, right? And walk them through it verbally. Good. Uh, what other examples, real quickly? Go to the slide after Scripture. All right, so here's some examples. Um, identify and fight personal sin. Y'all, um, this might sound weird. I hope and pray for a day where I don't have a job. 
obviously there are some clinical depression, anxiety, like people need assistance. But I have a lot of parents that will bring in their kids and it's like, you know, fix them. They just <laughs> drop them off. Well, we don't want to have these conversations in our household. Is not what they're saying, but what they're saying. Um, man, when you can really sit down um, and talk about the sin involved in whatever behavior you're disciplining, that's really key. Um, serve others, put others first. So sometimes when it's sister's turn to do the dishes, hey, why don't you grab, a, grab those and, and serve her? Um, children that are on idle and are busy with their own personal pursuits. So I have a lot of kids that will just play video games for 14 hours a day. I have a lot of kids that are super active and they're on club everything. And both take us away from being able to serve people. I see that in my own life. You know, when I'm up with kids, breakfast, 637 we're sitting down and actually connecting maritally by 8.30 each night, and the day is full. I can't go and serve a neighbor. I believe that's just as dangerous, being too overcommitted. I saw a family a couple of weeks back. Uh, he's a 12-year-old swimmer, a little bitty guy. And I, I was like, and I'm a swimmer too. You know, I swim a couple of times a week, the 24-hour fitness. And, uh, and I was like, you going to be in the Olympics anytime soon? He was like, 2024. Whoa. <laughs> okay. So literally, he, he's actually training at um, Brian, Brandon Henson. He's an Olympic swimmer. Hanson? Hanson? And he has a facility in southwest Austin, and he's training with him. Um, but, so he is uh, late elementary, early middle school. Um, he doesn't do weekend meets like all of his other classmates because um, his older siblings are junior or senior in high school, and they do debate on the weekend. So in their family's like, he'll have his time. On weekends, we go to their debates. This kid that wants to be in the 2024 Olympics. Um, and they're like, yep, yeah, nope, you're serving your brother and sister right now. Um, teaching our kids to be hopeful. Uh, this is not a part of their brain that works. Um, kids... Are, get stuck in their situation, and they have blinders on. So they're first person, and they freak out about their experiences. Um, we as parents, hopefully, have been through enough life experiences where we now understand that, huh, son of a gun, it happened again. I stressed a lot, but then it worked out. <laughs> that life kind of, even when it doesn't seem like it really worked out, um, there can be good that comes from bad. So we we hopefully have learned to be hopeful even in the, the most devastating of circumstances. Our kids do not know that. We have to hold their hand and lead them verbally towards hope. That, yeah, man, this, this sounds really rotten right now. Guarantee you, and I'm going to come back to you and have a conversation after it does work out. Um, guarantee you it's going to work out even if we don't think at some level it has. Teaching hope. Pray daily. Bless those that persecute you. Uh, teach them to be empathetic. Put themselves in their brothers' and sisters' shoes. So if y'all have siblings, this is the perfect training ground to learn how to be about making good out of sin. A sinful world, if you will. Making good out of bad so that they can also apply this to their culture. 
Befriend the unlovable and don't take revenge. What's important, though, is we don't want to just sit back and take it, okay? Jesus, in his meekness, was also very bold and strong. So there needs to, we need to teach our kids how to confront either people that are hurting them or stick up for people. So individuals that are hurting other people. We need to verbally, and this is the tough tightrope to walk, we need to teach them how to do that with strength, but without insult and disrespect. Um, And that can be, again, learned with siblings. Stand up to them. Don't do this. You're either going to get in trouble with mom and dad. Don't do this. This is not good. So it, it... Essentially, uh, con- confrontation needs to have verbal boundaries. Don't do this again. And if they continue it, it's physical boundaries. I'm just going to spend less time with you. And some siblings might think, yeah, that's great. So don't take revenge. Some of these like this, if your kid takes revenge, punish him for it. But some of these are more heart things. I wouldn't necessarily, oh, you didn't serve them. I wouldn't punish them for that. I might reward them for it if they do, though. So instead of a negative consequence, maybe reward them for more of those heart things that need to be worked on and dealt with. Next. All right, so what are the parental tasks? We as parents need to be authentic. I'm combining authentic and authenticity. Someone say it for me. Authentic. There we go. And practice authenticity. Um, we need to be about being authentic. This is tough. So we, uh, we struggle with uh, how much do we share with our kids? How much do we, we be real with them? And certainly there's age-appropriate things there. Um, but our kids need to see us struggle. I have a lot of adults that my parents never apologize to me. That's sad. I have a lot of young boys that think their dads are perfect. And any time they do something wrong, they go to mom, and it's like, don't tell dad, don't tell dad. We need to show our weakness to our kids, men, to our young boys. Uh, Because we are, right? Um, So, being genuine, ethical, lead by example, have personal values and convictions. Um, create buy-in with the family, a family-first mentality. This is huge. And if, you know, you are in management in your job or have done it previously, teaching a team mentality, that's a, that's a culture that takes months and years to cultivate. So it begins now, no matter what age your kid is. We don't think like this. My three-year-old is not for her brother but we have to teach that. So it's when the one, our one-year-old starts walking behind his walker, it's as, as a family we cheer for him because we're for each other. Um, empower your children to be leaders. And not everybody is going to be this, you know, vocal, upfront leader, but that, there's different types of leadership. We want to teach our kids to be leaders in, in, in being about good and redemption in this world. 
Next slide. Um, overcome failures, have them be learning experiences. There's a lot of families, and it's kind of unspoken sometimes, that can be punitive in failures. Um, and failures are, we need to accept them as a part of life. And that can be grades, that can be uh, sports, that we actually, uh, we learn the most in those failures. Earn your child's love. Um, I think this gets back to positional worth. Our kids do not respect us or love us if we're communicating to them works-based work or works-based worth. If they know that we're for them, uh, even in our punishments, and even obviously our kids are going to say that, you're so unfair at times, right? So that's, we don't live in la-la land where everything's perfect and they just accept our punishments. But above and beyond, right, we're going to say things in the heat of the battle, but your kid needs to know that you're for them and that they, you, they have worth no matter what. And that's, that's certainly earning their love. Set goals as a family. Um, yeah, this is one I certainly struggle with. Um, I don't necessarily know if we have family goals, and that's, that's sad. I'm very organized. But you almost feel like um, if we don't have necessarily family goals, and these are spiritual goals, you know, witnessing to a friend or so, hey, this next month, talk to somebody about Jesus. These are also just family goals, physical goals. And don't crater under pressure. We want resiliency in our kids. And a lot of that's going to go back to positional worth. Next. Um, And all of this is really the umbrella over all of this, obviously, is God and the Holy Spirit, but the umbrella under that is our marriage. Our kids need to see a marriage that's secure, not absent of conflict, but secure, so that they can actually think outwardly and think about and brainstorm with you on a weekly basis, how can I positively, what do I see going wrong in my world at school with my friends? How can I positively affect that for the better? Great question to ask weekly. Um, But they, to be able to live outwardly and not be insecure and just uh, have chaos going on at the home, a secure marriage, okay? Um, John Gottman is a marriage researcher, and he suggests for couples to be headed in a positive direction, they need five positives for every one negative interaction. So when I threw my wife under the bus a few minutes ago as a negative interaction, I now need to make that up in five different ways. Did I throw you under the bus? Let's, let's talk about that right now. <laughs> uh, listen generously. Allow them to influence you. So, we get married, we're on top of the world, we love our spouses, and then we live with them and we're like, you're an idiot. Because we don't think like them. But you married someone with a brain. Accept it. They have thoughts and feelings and emotions that are different than yours, 
And that's a good thing. You do not have a monopoly on truth, and neither does your spouse. So we've got to listen to each other and allow the other to influence us. We've got to be soft enough and moldable enough to allow influence. Um, trust and forgive. They're given, not earned. You must give trust and forgive. Obviously, with the trust, that's a... I mean, if there's abuse and really major things, forgiveness without question needs to be given and not earned. But trust, uh, if there are some, some large things, affairs, abuse, I mean, that certainly can be earned at some level. But the day-to-day things, trust needs to be given. Forgiveness needs to be given. If you wait till you emotionally feel like trusting or forgiving, it won't happen. Um, learn to compromise. You are on the same page. So the, one of the biggest ways that you can teach in summing up, we don't have anything else, right? Next slide. Yeah. So we want to be about our children and their hearts motivated to be a positive influence in their environment. Um, it comes through conversations with them. The biggest thing, though, more is caught than taught. It comes by leading by example. So if you're sitting down and setting weekly or monthly goals about how you're positively affecting your environment and they know about that, well, how can you? What can you do? What atrocities or negatives do you see at the lunchroom or do you see in your rooms? How can you maybe, maybe positively affect this? Um, there, if you are leading in that in your job or with your marriage, if you're leading in that, then they're going to learn to be about that as well. We have maybe 30 seconds. Questions? Yes, sir. Yeah, we have to, again, it begins now, um, but we have to teach our kids through word and through action that the family is more important than the individual parts. Um, I deal with this a lot, and I don't necessarily know specific examples that you might be thinking about, but with kids that are so behaviorally out there that they're controlling their family, um, at some level and at some point they need to exit the family because the family is more important than the individual. So um, I think that that is learned through service, giving to your brother and sister um, when you don't necessarily want I mean, I'm just spitballing, but, um, you know, if you are, um, you know, whether it's the cooking or whether it's giving them a gift that maybe you received or, or maybe it's um, instead of spending $500 on each kid at Christmas, us taking the $2,000 that that would add up to and giving it to a family and your kid's not having a Christmas. Um, but it's teaching them about being about others. Um, and not constantly asking yourselves, what do I want and what do I need? It's what do others, what do my siblings want or need? Super vague, sorry. Anything else before we get out of here? Because that's the thing about this. This is not a, again, it's not about behavior. So much of parenting books and resources is about how do we parent behavior, and there's a four-point plan to that. How do we parent our, our children's heart towards being about redemption? There's not a three-point plan. And I, it, 
So we as often in the church are about a three-point plan, four ways to study Scripture more. And God's not about that. He's about a relationship. If we're confused on how to do that, he wants that. Then we actually have to pray. <laughs> That's weird. We actually have to pray and seek his wisdom. How do we do this? Um, so I think the confusion and how do we parent a heart instead of behavior is a good thing. Then you have to actually have conversations with God. As for the Spirit's leading, we have to have conversations with our spouse. But I think practically speaking, if we could at all, it would be teaching your kids not to ask, what do I want? But what do, what do my other siblings or somebody else, what do they want and need to, to, to help foster that communal uh, mindset? We need to get out of here. Um, I'll stick around if anybody has any questions. David. Thank you, Josh. Thank you all.